1: filmmakers and genres that consensus has deemed important and thus I have created this podcast to document my journey into cinematic edification. At the top of every month I choose a filmmaker or genre of which I am woefully oblivious and discuss the significance and impact of it with a guest who will then recommend me three titles most relevant to the topic which I will then watch and report back on. Um, this month I'm exploring some films from the uh, racial reckoning horror movies subgenre and incredibly honored and pleased to uh, announce the guest who will be joining me Mark Harris, the uh, owner, um, webmaster, proprietor, whatever you want to call it, but he runs uh, BlackHorrorMovies.com. Mark, thank you so, so much for joining me on I Do Movies Badly to to talk about this with me.
0: No problem. Thanks for having me.
1: So, and uh, certainly the first thing, selfishly, I want to talk about, because I've seen this movie so many times, if people have not been to BlackHorrorMovies.com, then they perhaps know you from um, Horror Noir, uh, the documentary on Shutter about uh, the history of black horror. So, as a fanboy, I kind of want to pick your brain a little bit about that first, and just kind of see how you got involved in that, um, and what were the process was like? What were you going to bring to it? What's your part to play in it? Because you are part of this rich tapestry of writers, of academics, of directors, and actors talking about uh, black horror, and I just I want to know just anything and anything you want to talk about for that. Basically, I uh, we are we are here for your at your disposal, basically.
0: Well, um, I mean, I guess I was roped in because uh, I'm one of the few sites who, you know, online that dedicates itself to to the black presence in horror movies. Um, I had actually had a, a casual uh, relationship or friendship with uh, Ashley Blackwell, who was one of the uh, people who were behind the film and she runs, uh, her own uh, uh, black horror site that focuses more on black the black female perspective uh, called Graveyard Shift Sisters. Mm-hmm. And so we kind of just kind of communicated back and forth a little bit just casually uh, years before this came about. And so we kept in touch. And then when she uh, started to make this documentary, she uh, reached out to me and asked if I wanted to participate. And I was like, oh, sure, I'll do whatever you, you want. Um, I think she, so she's in philadelphia i think so i'm now, i'm on la in la so but she said that they would come out to la and we're doing some interviews out here with some of the talent since there was you know a lot of people obviously are the actors and stuff are out here in la so um i just went down to a, a an old movie theater is where they filmed it so it was kind of a cool setup they had a uh, sit in the theater and the seats like we're uh watching an actual movie and um, and they paired us up with different people to have kind of a one-on-one conversation. And it was, it was nice how they structured it because they had pairs of people. and They're kind of, we were talking to each other, but at the same time we were answering questions from off screen about, you know, the, the black horror experience. So um, it was really cool. Um, I didn't get to meet a lot of the people that were in the documentary at the time, Mm -hmm. um, but I did get to meet them. Briefly at the uh, the premiere afterwards, so that was kind of cool to be on stage with all these people like Tony Todd and Ken Forey and and uh, all those people who you know I, whose movies I watched growing up and who I looked up to. So I got I got kind of a cool uh, picture <laughs> with me with all of them together, and so it was kind of neat being being lumped in with them. So, um, <laughs> so yeah, it was a great experience.
1: <laughs> now I I, I must uh, I must ask. Of all the people who who you were most looking forward to meeting, who was the one that you were most excited about or that made you the most nervous?
0: Um I want I gotta say, probably maybe Keith David, just because mm. I always liked his the way he carries himself. He looks like he's like a fun guy. <laughs> uh, that kind of really great uh, deep voice. He does a lot of voiceovers and stuff, and you know, I remember him from The Thing and oh, yeah. They live and all that stuff so I I have from deep in my childhood I remember him and so yeah it was it was pretty cool I I I didn't get to say too much to him I think we just kind of greeted each other and said hi as we were taking the picture but I was was right next to him in the picture so that was kind of cool
1: (laughs) (laughs) and so if people have not been to blackhorrormovies.com don't really know what it's all about can you kind of inform us a little bit what is what does the website do Uh, what, what is your mission behind it and how did it, where did the idea come from? What was the genesis of it that you wanted to start this and
0: put this out into the world? Well, I, I've been a lifelong horror fan, um, since I was a kid. And, um, you know, I, in the early two thousands, I was kind of doing some freelance writing for different online magazines and that sort of thing, usually about entertainment uh, topics. And I was writing for, um, a site called Pop Matters at that point, and I wanted to do an article on black representation in horror movies, and it was kind of a tongue-in-cheek kind of article about how the black guy always dies and that sort of thing. And I kind of, I kind of wanted to look around online, just see, do some research, and I figured, you know, there's some, but there must be some site somewhere that dealt with, you know, the black experience in horror, and I just couldn't find anything. I was just kind of amazed that, you know. This was probably around 2005, and you know, it, even you know, it was not the early early days of the internet, but it was it was well enough into the the internet age that I thought there had to be some site devoted to it at that point. But I didn't find anything, and so I thought to myself, you know, I I know a lot of horror movies, and I kind of have paid attention to the black roles in horror movies over the years, and like, who better to to create a website about this? So. I decided to, you know, then and there, I started creating it in 2005, um, just kind of devoted to, at first I was just kind of just reviewing any horror movie that had a significant Black role in it, um, and it kind of evolved more into just kind of an overall uh, representation of the Black experience in horror. So I, I do just more than just reviews, I review movies, but I also write some articles about uh, different topics. I make lists about, you know, the best uh, heroic deaths by black characters and that sort of thing. So um, just kind of, uh, you know, I kind of keep it light because I know it's kind of a can be a heavy topic, you know, to talk about. So I know that the best way to get people to to learn about things like this is to make it entertaining. So they, you know, they're entertained first. And then as they're being entertained, they kind of might might learn a thing or two. So um, that's kind of my aim um and i've been doing it on and off for 15 years now so um i there's actually quite a bit that i haven't covered though so I, every time i feel like oh i've done a lot then I, I have this list of movies that i mean to like get to and review and it's like uh there's just so many and, and nowadays they're really with with the whole independent uh, movie uh uh, scene, you know, there's all these little movies out, coming out here and there, and th- there's just so many to to get a hold of and to to cover. So it's it's really never ending, but but that's a good thing. It's it's good that there's a lot of movies that that uh, have significant you know black characters and that sort of thing. So um, so yeah, it's it's fun.
1: What is it about horror that draws you to it as a a genre and different subgenres? I mean the Unfortunately, the history of, uh, for the most part, the history of cinema is largely dominated by white men, but then when you think of horror, in which there is so much when it comes to victimization and violence and that sort of stuff, what was it that first drew you to, like, you know, I, I think everyone within the horror community kind of has that one movie or that one thing where... Maybe they watched something when they were too young, or stumbled upon That's something, right. and they just it hit them, and they're like, "Okay, ho- I think horror is going to be a thing for me." Uh, <laughs> what What was it for you, if you can
0: remember? Um, I mean, I'm not sure. I mean, a couple of movies come to mind. I, I mean, I'm not exactly sure the the Genesis per se. I mean, I've always kind of been drawn to the darker side of things, and kind of like you know movies where there's not a happy ending. I've always kind of enjoyed that, you know, it's <laughs> like, oh, you, you can do that. You don't have to have, like, people walking off into the sunset. That's not, I've always thought that's kind of cool. Um, but, you know, I think one of the first horror movies that really got me into the genre was probably Halloween. Um, and like you said, I probably was too young to be watching it. But <laughs> um, my parents were strangely either... Lenient or oblivious to what I was watching. Mm, yep. <laughs> I mean, because in those days we had to go to the video store and we had to pick out a movie and give it to my parents to pay for. It. So they clearly knew what I was watching, but I guess they didn't mind. So um, uh, Halloween really sh- struck a chord with me, though, with uh, Michael Myers, his his whole look and his whole demeanor. I thought it was really just just a cool kind of scary movie. Um, But I think you know the first thing, the first movie that really got me into, I think, the black experience per se would be Night of Living Dead.
1: Mm.
0: Uh, I remember renting that from the library actually on on VHS, Um, and uh, I just, you know, I I kind of just got it just because you know I, I was starting to get into horror movies and I thought, oh, this is sounds cool, you know, zombies and that sort of thing, and I had no idea that the the hero in the movie was a black guy and it really struck me. And especially in an old black and white movie uh, from the sixties, this was an age when, you know, you didn't see, you know, any black leads hardly. And, and I was used to, if I saw footage from that era, black and white, I, you know, it was usually like civil rights movements or people getting hosed or having dogs sicked on them, that sort of thing. And to see this black guy being the lead and being like a take charge character who was, punching white people and slapping around (laughs) white white women and that sort of thing. And I was like, wow, this is, this is amazing. And I, you know, I knew like, even though I wasn't alive at that time, I knew that it had to be pretty revolutionary. Um, so yeah, that really struck a chord with me and that came like, you know, that became one of my all time faves immediately. And so I, you know, I've seen that a million times and, and just, that's kind of the, uh, in some ways, that's kind of the genesis of, of my whole, you know, black horror experience is just is that movie.
1: Well, I mean, clearly, I'm, I'm you know, a, <laughs> a, a big fan of it as well. That was, I think, probably the first zombie movie I ever saw that I, I think I stumbled upon on, like, a Saturday, Sunday afternoon. And, you know, it, it was in the public domain for such a long time that any channel could play it, and I just stumbled upon it. And that, that stark image of, I believe, that it was the moment after... After that young couple had tried to fuel up the, the the truck, and there was that explosion, and Dwayne Jones is kind of out there then by himself with like this makeshift torch and surrounded by zombies, there was something about the overwhelming odds of that image that I just kind of saw it as a kid, and like, oh, this is this is horrifying. Um, how how bleak of a picture that this this presents. Are, were you were you uh did you have kind of a suburban upbringing? Because the the story you say of like um or or just that idea of. My parents maybe were a bit oblivious, so when they took me to the movie store, they didn't really know what they were getting into. Like, very much rings true to me because, like, stuff I wanted to see, my mom's like, "Okay, if the cover doesn't look bad, then I guess we can rent this, (laughs) no matter what the
0: content of it was." Yeah, yeah, I was, yeah, I was a suburban slash rural kid. Um, I lived in rural uh, Virginia actually for most of my life. Um, I was actually born outside of the U.S. in in Jamaica, but I came to the U.S. when I was three. And uh, for some reason, my parents decided to move to rural Virginia. <laughs> and, uh, so, so that was a bit of a eye-opening experience. Um, but yeah, it was you know yeah until I was came to the until I came to the U.S. It was you know my experience was most was all black people. And when I came to the U.S., we moved to a very white portion of 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 the country and in, in the it, I wouldn't call it the Deep South, but it was deep enough South. <laughs> so um, so yeah, it was, it was interesting. Um, but yeah, we, I was, you know, we were kind of in the country and my, you know, when I went to the video store that at that time, you know, that was the only way to, to see these movies. We didn't, I didn't have cable or anything like that. We had like literally like three channels and, uh, and bunny ears and stuff. So, uh, the, the video store was a big part of our lives. And so I would just say, Hey, I want to write this. And I, I don't know if I, kind of obscure the covers on some of them or not, but they <laughs> they were very uh, open to just, you know, I don't remember them denying me any movies per se. I think I I probably stayed away from the stuff with uh, graphic covers like uh, I Spit on Your Grave or something like that. <laughs> so <laughs> I still remember that. I remember seeing that video box in my mind still to this day. That, that was kind of, there's some of these videos you saw on the shelves and you're like, you're like, tempted but you are just like I can't do that I can't do that there's just, that was one of the ones that really stuck in my mind of like I I just can't do that <laughs> there there's something about like almost the
1: forbidden knowledge where in the sense of like something within you signals like that's dangerous but also you're still kind of like <laughs> uh, one day maybe I'll get to see that and be clued in to what's going on? Exactly. Though it might I mean, that might just be good advice for people to avoid the film. I spit on your grave in general. <laughs> um, it's, it's not a a pleasant viewing experience uh, by any means. I I think mine mine may have been as weird as this sounds. Return of the Living Dead Part Two, um, mm. because of that, the cover of which is very. The cover was very similar to Fright Night, where it just kind of has. Some weird, like evil face in the sky that uh, that was always something that that drew me in, and I think I, it was my dad that I duped into um, having him rent that one for me. Um, that's that's neither here nor there, of course. But uh, what what age were you when you moved from Jamaica
0: to uh, the states? I was three, so it was pretty. It was really early in my life, so um, I. I don't really have much memory of it, but uh, apparently I had a thick Jamaican accent at that point. <laughs> people, people in the U.S. couldn't understand what I was saying. <laughs> that's, that's clearly gone now. Right. Okay. Right. <laughs> so, so you
1: weren't old enough. where sort of like a, where the the experience of moving from um, an atmosphere where most people around you were like you to most people being not like you
0: was was really too formative no no it isn't yeah i didn't really remember the change that much um but you know but i do remember you know growing up uh being you know one of like two black people in my class you know or in the whole grade actually like you know it would be like me in the grade and then an- another black girl in the grade and of course they assumed oh you too much like each other because you're black and that sort of thing so you you got that sense of uh Otherness, even if it wasn't overt racism per se, you know, you got that sense that you know, oh, this, you're not quite like us. So, um, so yeah, that's kind of what drew me to one of the movies that I'm going to discuss later. Is uh, that kind of uh, there are different types of racism or prejudice or whatever, however you want to term it, that uh, that uh, you get accustomed to. Uh, and and I think these movies kind of illustrate the, the, the range of uh, experience. So I thought that's interesting.
1: Now I, I'm always curious because I've I've certainly in other podcasts have interviewed um, specifically authors. Though you yourself are are an author as well. That's you know if we, if we want if you want to talk about that, you are certainly more than likely or more than welcome to. Um, but people who's um, in really like the last six months, the last year. There's been a lot more people kind of requesting their presence for interviews for media stuff because of how there seems to be the tide and the turning a little bit in the country when it comes to racial justice, racial reconciliation, kind of bringing these important um, issues to to the forefront of stuff. Have you found that you are suddenly now kind of more in demand? And if so, your response to that? Because I know... Some people that I've talked to have a mixed reaction, where it's like, "Hey, I- I'm glad that you're reading my book now, but where the hell were you, people? You know, for the last few decades,
0: really?" <laughs> um, yeah, I've, I've I've definitely been more in demand lately. Like, this is the the third, the actually the fourth thing this week I've been doing on that kind of topic that I've I've been meaning to like review a movie for my site, but it's like I can't get to it. I got like <laughs> so. Uh, so yeah, I've I've got. Uh, I, I mean, I can't go into too much detail, but I've got plans for possibly doing a book, and uh, I did some I filmed something earlier this week on camera, so that was interesting. But I signed some scary non-disclosure agreements, so I probably shouldn't talk too much. About it. Um, <laughs> that's fair. And uh, and I even got a, a request from a French publication to talk about uh, stuff. Uh, I think it was time to. The Candyman release, that sort of thing. So, um, so yeah, it's been it's been an interesting time. Um, been very busy, but you know, I, I definitely you know I can understand the thought that you know, you know, the kind of what have you done for me, lately kind of thought where it's like yeah, it, why why all of a sudden? But you know, I I can understand that people are involved in their own lives and stuff like that, so they don't they haven't really uh, paid a whole lot of attention to it. So I can, I can see both sides, but I mean, um, it's definitely, uh, an interesting time. Um, I think it's kind of a, a chicken's coming home to roost type, sort of time for the, um, America as a whole, just kind of, uh, uh, kind of a perfect storm of, uh, of issues coming to light and, and, and just kind of America has to kind of look itself into the, in, look at itself in the mirror in terms of its history of, Racial inequality and, and and that sort of thing. So um, so yeah, it's 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 uh it's interesting. I'm glad the conversation is going now. Um, and I feel you know, it, it kind of comes in waves. It, it's been like this a little bit in the past, but I think this is the most significant uh, uh, moment that I can recall in terms of sustained uh, discussion and sustained action. I think uh, I think the real test will just come in terms of um, passage of laws and that sort of thing to to really make stuff come into action. It's, it's one thing to just, you know, to say Black Lives Matter or to do some kind of uh, uh, surface uh, uh, obligatory acts. or But I think, you know, the real thing will come with the passage of Laws and that sort of thing to make real to real to make real change and I think it's not going to be a obviously a quick thing quick fix or anything it has to be more or less a generational type thing it's just a kind of a ongoing type of uh, sustained effort so um, so I'm glad it's it's really you know keeping up I'm glad you know the more I get requests for stuff that means it, it's still going to be in the limelight so I, I, I'm, I'm I'm happy to you know respond to that sort of thing and and, and keep it, keep it up, keep the discussion going.
1: Mm -hmm. And one thing that I think is helping keep the discussion going is there certainly seems to be more money and publicity going into supporting works from black filmmakers. I mean, uh, unfortunately this pandemic, which has ruined basically everything has delayed, obviously the, the release of Candyman Need to cost Candyman. Um, Antebellum has been released. The reviews are somewhat mixed, but that is one that has come out. And then, I guess spoilers for later on in the episode get out is is also one that kind of was really kind of lit a, a fire so but we, we're talking I mean this theme is is uh, racial reckoning and some of the examples that you've that you've uh, picked for me and for the listeners which we'll get into in just a little bit are a little bit more uh, contemporary but I, I'm I'm wondering if you're able to kind of talk about um, it as like a sh- uh, a zon wow. Subgenre. there we go that's the word i was looking for um <laughs> has this always been one that has kind of like run through history or is this something which has kind of developed a uh, fairly recently
0: i mean i think it's been on and off uh for a while i think you know the first ones that i can recall would be in the black exploitation era which um there was a lot of racial reckoning in all sort of genres during that (laughs) era. So those movies were, you know, you know, definitely, you know, marketed towards black viewers. So there was a lot of, um, expression of black frustration through the storylines. So a lot of it was about, you know, being wronged by, by the man and then getting your revenge and that sort of thing. So, um, you know, there was movies like, um, you know, Blackula was about this African prince who was uh who who approached Dracula to try to help end the slave trade because Dracula was apparently part of the slave trade during that time so uh you know Dracula you know of course rebuffed him and then bit him and turned him into a vampire and locked him away and that sort of thing and he he emerges in in the 1970s as as quote-unquote (laughs) Blackula so um so that in and of itself is kind of you know his whole creation was due to uh an act of of racism and and and, uh racial uh inequality because he didn't view this black prince as somebody who was worthy to tell him what to do so um but then there was other movies like um uh there was one called um i don't know if you call the black horror movie so much but it's called Welcome Home Brother Charles and it's about a black guy who was railroaded by these racist cops and sent to jail and somehow in jail he developed this, I don't know, I think it was through voodoo or something, developed this ability to grow his penis into several feet in length <laughs> and then when he got out of jail he would use that to strangle the people who put him in jail <laughs> so um, so that was an interesting one <laughs> that's one of the more interesting ones um, there was another one called um, uh, poor Pretty Eddie uh which a black woman was held who driving through uh rural the rural south was kidnapped by this white guy she i think she was like a kind of a famous singer and she, or actress or something and he recognized her and he kidnapped her and he kind of held her hostage and that sort of thing and it's kind of kind Of a, one of those rape revenge movies that, that was really popular during that time, like I Spit on Your Grave, so mm-hmm. it was kind of a pretty pretty icky movie, but you know, that was another example from the 70s. So, yeah, it, in the 70s, there are quite a few of those. Um, I think in the 80s, all black horror basically died during the 80s, so there was really nothing much in that time. Um, then I think in the 90s, there was a bit of a comeback with. And then there was movie, uh, movies like Tales from the Hood, which had a a couple incidences of of, of vengeance in that, where uh, one of them, for example, was a, uh, uh, like a KKK member who had, uh, I think it was kind of based on David Duke, who was at the time was running for office or something. And, and so there's a KKK member who was in some old plantation house and then the, the spirits of uh, black slaves who had died, inhabited these dolls or something and then came back and killed them and that sort of thing. So so yeah, there were a few incidences in the 90s and then yeah, now since like Get Out, there's been a whole uh, slew of uh, uh, black horror coming to prominence. Although to be fair, um, there has been a lot of black horror in between before uh get out in the 2000s it's just has been a very low budget very straight to video kind of a deal so the quality has been very uh up and down but um so it, it's really just come to prominence now but there have been you know quite a few uh uh efforts before then since since the 2000s and and you know some of them have been of the uh racial vengeance uh subgenre um um, even from other countries i have seen a couple from brazil which apparently has a very uh extreme case of 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 racial divide in that country um so there's been some movies about you know uh the racism in that country as well so it's not even just an american thing uh, unfortunately it's been it's been going on around the world and it's it's just being captured on video now, which is uh, which is interesting to me, especially like you said, in this in this day and age, it's really uh, interesting topic to to think about, and that's what got me thinking about it in the first place. I was thinking about doing a writing an article or a list or something for my site just on this kind of subgenre, because we are in an era where America's coming to terms with you know the, its history, and so um, this type of film, which does it in a very extreme explicit uh manner um would be uh I think applicable to this era. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we we
1: certainly didn't invent racism here in America, but boy are we trying to perfect it it seems like. <laughs> um and you, I'm curious if you have any insight into cuz you mentioned that this sort of drops off in the 80s uh after kind of having a, a genesis in the 70s. Is that sort of like Reagan's America plus the studios kind of being like, well, if Listen, you you had your fun, but now we need Rambo and we need Rocky and we need a uh, we
0: need all these these big budget tentpole heroes. Yeah, I think yeah, I think it's both yeah. I think um after the black exploitation era in the 70s and I think um I think the studios used any excuse to uh, any sign of, like, that that era waning, any sign of that appeal waning, I think they use an excuse, an excuse to say, oh, the era's over. You've had your chance, you know, and now we're moving on to other things. I think um, – and then on top of that, I think they might have taken their cue from the overall uh, government of the, of the 80s, which is a very conservative government, which was, you know – kind of it kind of abandoned the inner cities and abandoned a lot of the social programs that uh, were supporting the inner cities like public housing and, and food stamps and that sort of thing I think they kind of put all a lot of that stuff uh, cut a lot of funding to that things those things so and then there was a lot of flight from the cities to the suburbs and so it was kind of an era where they had a surface of Peace and perfection, because there was no, there were any major wars or anything like that. But I think under the surface there was a, an era of a widening gap of uh, racial and and, and uh, economic uh, uh, differences. And so I think, um, you know, I think that kind of helps explain why a lot of the black centric movies kind of went away. I think I think what the studios did was kind of as a way to kind of throw a bone to black people they kind of tended to just include like one black character in these movies you know so that kind of was the genesis of the quote-unquote black guy who would you know be amongst the group of friends who would you know who would eventually die because he wasn't the he wasn't the star so he would kind of die along with the the cheerleader and the the jock and the nerd and that sort of thing so he was just kind of one of the he became one of the new types, you know, that, that would inhabit these horror movies. So I think that was kind of their way to say, oh, now we're being inclusive. You know, we're throwing this one person in there. So mm-hmm. I think that's kind of their way to deal with it in the 80s. <laughs> yeah, well, and
1: <laughs> getting back to uh, Return of the Living Dead, I, I remember seeing the very the first one, Dan O'Bannon's one from like 85, I think, and mm-hmm. watching it with my brother, Sure. And, uh, and us both us, placing us both bets, place- uh, bets as to like who do we think would be the the one to survive till the end. Uh-huh. And I, I remember thinking that um, who's the actor's name? Uh, Miguel A. Nunez Jr., who played Spider. I thought he would be the one. Uh, <laughs> my brother put a bet on. I think the Clue uh, cal- uh character. And then it turns out um everybody dies at the end. So I mean, <laughs> you, you talk about that that bleak ending thing. Uh, there, uh, there it is. Um, I, I'm. Uh, this may be kind of a, a long-winded and pretentious question, but I, I gotta I gotta go with it anyway. And then if it's if it doesn't work, I'll I'll cut it out. Um, <laughs> I, I know. So there's been a lot of political action, uh, social action um, when it comes to marches, protests, and then the things that the media likes to highlight, which are the riots and the fires and the violence and that kind of a thing. And I have enough people in my life that I, I keep hearing the recurring things of like, well, you know, I, I support their cause, but I just wish they wouldn't go about it like this, or why can't they protest peacefully, or why, you know, and, and this sort of thing. And kind of neglecting and not giving credence or validity to this idea of like, listen, people are angry, like, and, and anger is a valid and a righteous emotion. It can be. When it comes to a subgenre like racial reckoning, have you seen or have there been kind of the same criticisms where it's like, well, you know, I, I would like to support, you know, uh, you know, filmmakers of color and that kind of thing, but just, man, some of these movies are just so angry and they get labeled with a thing of like, well, you're an angry filmmaker. You're an angry person. Does that extend to the, the, the cinematic world as far as you can tell?
0: Um, I mean, I'm not, you know, an insider by any means. I, I'm not uh, privy to a lot of the, things that go on behind the scenes but I mean I can imagine that that probably has some impact I mean if not necessarily on in terms of the message being angry but in terms of you know why does the movie have to be so black you know that sort of thing I think I think a lot of that goes along goes into things I've heard complaints by some people saying you know they had a script or working on a movie that um, had a black lead or something like that. and the the feedback would be, "Does the black lead have to be black or something like that? You know, mm-hmm. so yeah. I think there is definitely a sentiment that if they have if a movie has a black lead or even you know, if it has two black people in it, then all of a sudden it's a quote unquote, black movie. And then that immediately cuts down on its appeal. Um, so I think that's one thing that has been difficult to overcome, I think, but I think things like Get Out definitely has really opened up the, um, the, opened up some people's eyes in, in studios, I think, or at least I hope, uh, like Get Out and Black Panther, um, mm-hmm. or movies that were definitely, you know, had a highly Black cast or Black, uh, Message in mind, and so I think the fact that those two were so successful commercially across the board, across races, I think that will definitely help in the uh, upcoming years. Hopefully, knock on wood. Um, and so, you know, I think that's partially why we see certain these some of these movies coming out like Candyman and Antebellum and stuff being green green lit um, because you know I, I think there's a openness to that because in the end Hollywood all Hollywood sees is green anyway so I mean if if these movies continue to do well they'll keep making them but if they don't if you know if a couple of them in a row kind of bombed then that will be all they really need to say oh that that era is over like with the black exploitation era so um I think they are open to it but I also think that um you know any sign of weakness and they'll they're not so devoted to it that they would wouldn't just shut it down and just say, Oh, let's move on to the next thing. <laughs> yeah. And,
1: yeah. And which seems somewhat, uh, I don't want to say relevant, but before getting on this conversation, my wife and I were catching up on Lovecraft country, which is a, a show that mm-hmm. I've been look forward, looking forward to for uh, a while. And, uh, it, it seems like it's one where there's a lot of hopes kind of riding on its success, uh, critically and, and, uh, Well, I guess it can't be a financial success considering it's coming out on HBO, but there seems to be a lot lot of hope on that because it is um, largely devoted to a a black experience and and the black characters. And so it's sort of like, can this be a success? And if so, I I mean, it's lip service perhaps, but like, oh, this was successful, let's make more because this is making money for us. But also, I guess that's a, a... progress in a way where it's like we're doing it for the money but at least those opportunities and those images are getting out there I mean
0: progress is progress whether it's slow or quick I suppose yeah yeah I mean I think the more like I said the more the images get out there I think you know representation matters so I think you know the more we get those images out there regardless of the reason or the way they happen I mean you know I think it's important to to see that sort of thing, like, you know, growing up in the 80s, like I did, it was just so rare to see any black people in anything, really, frankly. I mean, I, I remember as a kid running, you know, calling my sister anytime there was a black person on TV on any show, you know, I like, oh, there's a black person coming in, let's look. And so I, I remember the times when, you know, just we were starved to see, you know, people who looked like us on, on TV and in movies. So because, um, you know, in that era... You had basically, you know, Eddie Murphy and Whoopi Goldberg and maybe, uh, um, Richard Pryor or something like that. It was like, you know, just a couple people and then just, you had to really search for it otherwise. So, Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, I'm, I'm really, however it's happening right now, you know, I'm, I'm just happy that there's, there's images like that out there and I hope it continues. Mm -hmm. Now
1: getting into the, the topic at hand, uh, the racial reckoning subgenre in horror movies. So um, as the name would imply, this seems like it's a, you know, white people getting their comeuppance. Um, (laughs) But uh, I mean, aside from that, what, what are some kind of characteristics of of this that we can talk about before we get into the the specific uh, title topic
0: discussions? Well, I mean, it's pretty, pretty straightforward. Um, It's usually at least the ones that I'm picking out. Yeah. It's usually as a, a, interaction between Black and white people, and and it's uh, uh, Black people being victim of uh, racism um, and just kind of the way in which they come back and get vengeance for their their slights. Um, I think I picked these three movies because they kind of represented different types of racism Mm. and Mm. different types of uh, prejudice and I think it's um, interesting to just to see because a lot of times you'll expect it to just be this cross-burning type of overt racism and and so I think these movies deal with really subtly different types and that and I think it's an interesting that not everything is you know not everything everything is the same not everything is is uh in your face and that's kind of the uh insidious nature of of racism in general it's just that you know you're you start to get almost a little paranoid because you're like is this is this happening because i'm black is you know what's going on or is this person just a jerk in general that sort of thing so um so yeah i think these movies kind of illustrate the different manners in which people might uh uh experience racism and and but they do it in a Think a fun kind of lighthearted way in general. I think it's it's hard to deal with these topics. It's hard to to watch movies about these topics. I know even me, as a black person, me and my wife, we we find it hard to sit down and watch like uh, Twelve Years a Slave or something like that. That we know is going to be oh god, this is going to be bleak. <laughs> and it's like you know I, I I know I should watch it, but it's gonna I got to prepare myself. So it's I know it's some things can be hard to to watch, but these three I think in particular do it in a manner that's really first and foremost entertaining and then, you know, you kinda can glean a message from it after.
1: That's a really cool approach and, and also just a really important idea to get out there, that idea of, you know, as you say, racism is not just white people showing up in hoods burning crosses on your lawn, but there are <laughs> there are are many levels of it as and as I guess uh it's Kemdi has not recently said. He's been saying this for a while, but people are just kind of noticing it now as as they're buying up his book, but this idea of it's it's racism and anti-racism. We can't say it's racist or, or not racist. There's two different approaches. So having said that, let's get into the, the meat and potatoes. The, uh, the three titles you're going to be recommending, and you can do them in any particular order you want. Uh, people sometimes do it chronologically, but Anyone that you want to start with, the first of your three recommendations is going to be?
0: The People Under the Stairs. Um, Yes. (laughs) Yes. I I mean, I guess I'll go in chronological order. So, um, yeah, People Under the Stairs um, from Wes Craven. This is a movie that came out in the early 90s. I remember seeing this in the theater. Um, And I think... This is, is kind of the type of racism this sort of illustrates to me is more of an overt, kind of over the top racism. Um, it's a story about these uh, ridiculous <laughs> people, these two, two white uh, people who live in the suburbs and they are basically slum slumlords. Uh, they own a lot of buildings in the inner city a lot of apartment buildings. They even own some liquor stores, I think. And so um, they basically don't take care of the buildings. They're, uh, the buildings are inhabited by mostly black and, and brown people. And basically, they're trying to allow the buildings to go into disrepair so they can tear them down and, and, and sell them and build these nice new condos and that sort of thing. So they but beyond being slum lords that's that's the least of their issues they they're also uh <laughs> they're also uh, serial killers they're they're child abductors they're child abusers they're cannibals um and they have like people the i guess the kids that they've abducted and who haven't turned out the way they want they keep them quote unquote under the stairs um and so they've those people have kind of turned into kind of subhuman kind of night or dark they're in the dark so their skin is really pale and they are they can barely speak i think they've cut out some of their tongues and that sort of thing so so anyway this is basically a house of horrors in the suburbs and so um this the main character is actually a little a little black boy from who lives in one of their buildings in the inner city and he is recruited by uh, a guy named played by Ving Rhames in one of his early roles and so they decide to go and break into these uh, their their landlord's house and steal some of their supposed gold that they there's there's a rumor that they have a stack of gold and stuff in their house so. <laughs> They decide to the break in, and um, they, you know, the. Well, I don't know. I guess <laughs> this, I guess I shouldn't give. I don't. I don't know if I should give spoilers at this point because the movie's thirty years old. But yeah, um, yeah, it's. <laughs> yeah, it's, yeah it, 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 <laughs> I I know. I I think let's. I don't know.
1: I, that's an interesting question because I when I do the reviews, I always do the spoilers with the idea of like, listen, if you're listening to this episode, you've probably seen this movie. Otherwise. <laughs> Um, so yeah, I guess if you want to, why not? Um, but you know, spoilers if you haven't seen the people under the stairs yet, uh,
0: we're we're going to spoil well, it for you. But go ahead. I, yeah, I won't give I won't give everything away. Just just minor spoiler: Vin Grames gets killed, and and the boy is trapped in the house, and so he's got to kind of find his way out of this this maze like house that's that's locked up, and um, you know he discovers that they the the two psychopaths have a a little girl who is their daughter and that they kind of are kind of molding as like this uh, perfect girl or whatever and they they kind of have this veneer of 1950s perfect like you know uh, uh, family and I think it's really an interesting overall um, tone to the movie it's very darkly humorous it's, it's almost like a a dark comedy fairy tale almost. Um, and so, you know, I, I think Wes Craven was kind of using it as sort of a, a satire of um, of the 80s and the Reagan era in that, you know, these two people kind of sort of resemble Reagan and, 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 and his wife, and they call each other mommy and daddy, oh. that sort of thing. And they have this whole, like, perfect you know, Reagan was all about family values and everything. And they are so high on, even though they're doing all this terrible stuff, they're high on being this perfect family. And they, um, they say like, speak no evil, hear no evil, see no evil. That's what they teach their daughter. And, and they are hyper, uh, religious, I suppose, in their own way. Cause they're always saying people should burn in hell for their sins and that sort <laughs> of thing. So it's really an over the top kind of, uh, I think the uh, satire of that era and the whole family values era and, and Reagan and, and, and that sort of thing and how, like I said, the everyone flee, fled the, the dangerous, quote unquote, inner cities for the suburbs. And so this kind of is sort of like um, what he did with Nightmare on Elm Street, which was kind of a, undercut the perfect nature of the suburbs this was kind of a similar thing where they showed that, you know, the suburbs aren't this great, you know, uh, bastion for perfect, a perfect life and perfect families and that sort of thing. You know, the family values in the suburbs aren't really anything to really write home about. So, um, so yeah, this, um, so yeah, I think as far as the, the racial vengeance aspect, I think it's kind of, they, they are definitely racist, not only just in the way that they, uh treat their mostly black um uh uh tenants in terms of how they you know are waiting to ship them out and try to move them out of the property and that sort of thing but you know they they overtly like use the n-word and that sort of thing and so they they are really just over the top in your face kind of racist um and so that's kind of the the type of racism that you know you would most expect to see i guess in, in certain movies and so that that's kind of the the one that i used to to represent that more in your face type of uh racism and they they kind of turned it up to 10 as <laughs> they kind of played it over the top so to to really amp- amplify it but uh but yeah it's uh It's an interesting movie. Yeah, you. I mean, you talked
1: about how you want the. You know, you chose movies which are first and foremost entertaining. And I remember I've seen this movie once, but a long time ago, and it. I I remember kind of being a little bit disoriented because, well, first I had just kind of finished recently watching Twin Peaks, so the. You know, the couple in in the at the these landlord these landlords are two actors from Twin Peaks who were married in that same show so I was like wait so we got the people from (laughs) Twin Peaks but then also one of the kids from the Mighty Ducks which was a movie that I loved all the time (laughs) watching when I was a kid and Wes Craven but also it's goofy but dark and there were so many different pieces I just I don't think I was prepared for what this movie was trying to offer and especially this idea of gentrification and social satire was like it was
0: just all kind of lost on me at that point yeah yeah I remember I don't I think I expected the tone going in. I remember watching it in the theater, and I know I knew Wes Craven; I was a fan, so I was like, "All right, this is gonna be a cool, scary movie or whatever." And <laughs> and, and it was like it really took me off guard how weird and goofy it was. But I but I liked it. I, I was like, "Okay, I got to shift my expectations a bit." But I was like, "Oh, okay, this is this is going a little different direction." So so yeah, I liked it, and I like I, I kind of appreciated the dark the dark humor of it um i think it handled the humor a lot better than uh later when wes craven did uh vampire in brooklyn with eddie murphy which Mm. (laughs) didn't score with me at all that was just that just it didn't have any edge to me that was just bad comedy but um (laughs) this one had some something to say and, and, and i i liked how weird the characters were how just i think the two the two main uh villains they, the actors did a really good job just just how over the top and ridiculous they were so it was it was really cool
1: well and i know he was he Wes craven was a filmmaker who wasn't entirely satisfied just being known as like the horror guy i mean trying to do other things so it, it seemed like maybe people under the stairs was a step in that direction vampire mm-hmm. brooklyn may be like i'm gonna get more broad comedy and, eh, maybe <laughs> maybe not so much um because then i know I think his next feature after People Under Stairs was New Nightmare, so returning back to the, the Friday the 13th franchise. Uh, Nightmare on Elm Street franchise, I'm sorry, before anyone sends me an angry tweet. Um, <laughs> uh, but, you know, so. but it, And at least it kind of seems like maybe between this and Vampire in Brooklyn was maybe a guy trying to use his privilege to a certain extent of like, I'm going to depict other, you know, other stories. And uh, whether they were successful or not, I guess, is, is up to uh, the viewer. But. I'm, I'm excited to revisit this one because uh, I know I was not prepared for it, the, the message that it had for me at the time. So what is um, recommendation number two from you?
0: So number two, going in chronological order, I would go with Get Out. Of course. Yeah, ha- you that's had to know sad. that was coming, people, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's kind of the, uh, the template for any modern uh, black horror movie and any sort of racial anything with a racial angle basically. So, um, without giving too much away, <laughs> um, I, you know, it's, it's about, um, this interracial couple They're, I guess in their twenties, um, black guy and a white girl. And, um, she decides to take him to visit her parents for the weekend. Uh, her parents live out in the boonies somewhere in this nice, big, you know, mansion, um, and he is a little nervous because she didn't tell them that he's black, so he's a little nervous as to how they'll react, and, and she's like, oh, no, they they love black people. They <laughs> would have voted for Obama for a third term. Um, so, you know, when he gets there, he um, first thing he notices is that they have all their servants are black and that the servants are acting kind of strange and off-putting and um, so he kind of, you know, he meets the parents and the parents have kind of are almost a little too friendly with him and um, they mention you know, the, the father is like my man and all that sort of thing so there's kind of some subtle like little indications that they're aware of his blackness but they just love it so much and that sort of thing and so um later on they have like a gathering at the house with a bunch of the parents friends and they're all kind of interacting with him and they're all asking him about how great it is to be black and that sort of thing so it's kind of he feels like he's really put on show kind of and so it's all It's all very weird Um, uh, and so (laughs) I'm trying not to give away too much I'm sure most people have seen it but Mm -hmm. but if you haven't it's it's it just it takes a weird turn they they really I think what it illustrates as far as um, racism I don't know or I don't know if you want to call it racism per se or or it's just kind of a weird uh, offshoot of racism where um, I think it amplifies instances where people kind of look at people of another race as having something inherently better about them, something like they have some sort of biological advantage to being black or, you know, they're inherently cooler or better at basketball or better at sex or whatever, you know, whatever it is. I think there's some sort of almost a fetishized uh, view of, um, of, of black people that some people have. Um, I don't know if you remember, in the 80s, there was a sportscaster named Jimmy the Greek
1: mm-hmm.
0: who got oh. into trouble because he, on camera, he was asked about something fairly innocuous like the Martin Luther King holiday or something like that, and he went off on some tangent about how uh, all the athletes are black now because black people were bred as slaves to be better uh, physically and that sort of thing, and so he went off on this whole tangent and immediately got fired. And so it was a big thing uh, in the '80s. But uh, it's that kind of thing where um, it, it's not like they hate black people, but they do view them as distinctly other and have some sort of almost like a different species, where they have some inherent something inherent about them that is better. And so, you know, in the movie, there it they kind of takes that to the next level and kind of, uh, like People on the Stairs, is kind of a satirical way to deal with it, where they kind of go over the top with that and they are, uh, have plans for <laughs> the main character uh, to, to benefit from his race, basically. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And
1: I, like that you, that you mentioned that, that idea of, um... The pendulum swinging in the other direction, and, like, there's a... No, you are very good, and we like you because of this and this, but the otherness is still... That's still the message that is being conveyed in this movie, is, like, you are still separate from us and different mm-hmm. in, in, a, in a certain way. Um, did you... I, I'm wondering, after this movie came out, because I had some of these conversations, so I'm wondering if you had them, too, of this... Where you see something and, like, oh, my God, this is such a great... <laughs> piece of cinema here and i just want to talk to people about it so you do and then i know some of the, the responses i had with like friends of mine were like listen if this was a, a white guy in this movie this would be an entirely different story when no one would be talking about it and losing this idea like yeah that's the point that's what we're <laughs> talking about here and and how that might be like here's this great thing and then people are still like mm, i don't know i still want to cut it down
0: for a certain for a certain reason <laughs> Yeah. Yeah, there are. I, I do when I watch movies and I I call something racial from it, I do wonder if it's just because I'm attuned to that or I, I do wonder how white viewers would see certain things like the next movie I'm going to talk about, especially
1: mm-hmm.
0: don't know if I think that what I got from it would be totally different than what some other people get from it. Um I mean, I do think there are certain people who are intentionally uh oblique to to what uh <laughs> what messages are being portrayed. I think in Get Out is pretty intention pretty obvious what they're trying to say. So I think if you really don't get it from that, I I think you're just kind of being intentionally ignorant. <laughs> <laughs> but but the next movie I think is a little more subtle and that's kinda of why I wanted to to talk about it too. It's just uh it's there are there are different ways to interpret certain movies, definitely.
1: Okay, well, and uh, I guess there there's Get Out is going to be one of those movies. Like I, I recently for this month covered The Exorcist, and even though Get Out is much more recent than The Exorcist was, it still is kind of in that realm of movies where it's like so much has been said about this. What can I possibly say about this movie? But that's that's a challenge. Mm-hmm. I'll I'll cross that bridge when I get to it. I guess so. Um, mm-hmm. I'll just say that in the sense of like let's not dwell on get out anymore let's move on to your your final recommendation which i know listeners may not but i'm very intrigued to to hear why this one was your third recommendation
0: it's ma <laughs> m a <laughs> um so yeah this came out just i think last year yeah, um 2019 yep yeah it was after get out so it kind of i think it probably got made because Get Out was so successful. So I think it helped uh, spur this to, to, to be made. So um, basically, it is about a, um, I guess it really revolves around a, a, a white girl, a teenager who moves to this small rural town uh, where her mother grew up. So her mother is kind of moving back to her hometown. She's a single mother with this one teenage daughter and they move back to this hometown where the mother grew up. And so um, she's kind of the, the teenage girl kind of falls in with some new friends and they are doing typical teenage things and they want to buy some booze so they can just go drinking. Mm-hmm. And um, of course they're not old enough so they're kind of hanging out outside this liquor store trying to convince people to older people to to buy them some booze and they run across this uh middle-aged black woman who they who agrees to do it and she buys them some booze and they kind of strike up a relationship where um the woman will kind of buy them booze periodically and she ends up giving them a place to drink because you know they can't drink in the middle of the woods or you know it, it's 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 easier of course to to go into a house so she she lets them go into her basement and kind of drink and party and stuff like that and she ends up kind of joining them she kind of falls in and she this older lady kind of feels like um, she's kind of reliving her own teenage years through them so um, she I'm trying to I don't want to give away too much, but you know, okay. she, she kind of um, is – it turns out that I guess how it fits in with um, uh, the topic is that she was kind of ostracized as a teen. She, she grew up in this town. She actually grew up with the girl's uh, father or mm. mother. Okay. And so she, she knew all of these kids' parents basically, and she grew up with them. And she uh, was ostracized. And she was, they, they show in flashbacks what happened to her, which I won't go into too much detail, but it seems like she was, from what I saw, the only black kid in the, in the class. Mm. And even though it was never, uh, it's never really said outright why she was ostracized, because she was kind of geeky, she was kind of chubby. There were different reasons why she could have been ostracized. But she was also black, and so, like I said before, the way I view it might be different than the way a white viewer might see this movie. Mm. But I, I saw it as, you know, it might have been it might have been because she was geeky or overweight too. But she also was definitely uh, the only black person, and she that kind of is the low hanging fruit for for teenagers to pick on you. Know, I would think it might not be that they were just overtly racist because they never. In the movie, they never, you know, say any racial epithets or anything like that. They never call out her race or anything like that. But they do definitely um, torment her. And um, something like race is something easy to pick out for kids at that age who are looking to be cool or looking to ostracize someone else, that sort of thing. So it, that it's that kind of thing that is really subtle. Like, you know, you're being picked on. But you don't know—is it because I'm black? Is it because I, you know, I'm a geek? Or I'm, I'm overweight—that sort of thing. So it's that kind of reasons that I, that I wanted to call out. So in the movie, she's kind of picked on as a kid, as a teenager, and then as an adult, she's kind of using these teenagers to feel cool again. And then at some point, the teenagers kind of sense that she's a little off, and they kind of pull back, and it kind of goes into sort of a, a fatal attraction type of mode where she kind of. <laughs> Becomes a little psycho. She kind of starts to to act out. She um, kind of uh, uh, you know gets a little violent with certain people, um, and it it just kind of comes back. It, it's a it's kind of like uh, Nightmare on Elm Street, where the sins of the parents come back to to haunt the children. So she's kind of the Freddy in this situation, and she kind of ends up uh, their their acts that they did, which may or may not have been racist, but um, are coming back to haunt them because the the kids are now feeling the wrath of, of what they did as, as teenagers. It's funny now that you're talking about this
1: movie because I was just kind of looking into it as you were talking. In my mind, I was like, oh, it's interesting that he is bringing up this one because for some reason I have this imprint in my head of this movie not being very well received, Apparently, it was like a $5 million budget and made like $65 million worldwide, so it was a financially successful film, um, but mm-hmm. one that I guess critics did not like. Rotten Tomatoes is not everything, but I think a 55% certified rotten on that website. And I, I wonder how much of that is also people maybe coming in with an inherent bias because Tate Taylor, who's the director, got a bunch of um, mm-hmm. shit, I guess, if you want to say, because he directed The Help, which was a movie that very much was kind of uh, hmm. one of those white savior movies and so is this him trying to compensate for that or, or come back and what you know as I've already documented on this podcast in this episode of many times before sometimes you go into a movie expecting one thing or what you expect or, the- or what you bring to it could change your viewing experience
0: yeah I think yeah I think I do think it got some flack. For the for being directed by who it was directed by um, I think um, I think there's a portion of black viewers who kind of would be automatically turned off by that but also I think they might have been turned off a bit by I think is because it came on the heels of get out and I think people were expecting something really uh, groundbreaking edgy deep social commentary and um, I think it suffered by those comparisons so I think I think I remember when Pete, when it first was advertised, I remember seeing some some black uh, journalists or whatever talking about the the deconstruction of the mammy stereotype or that sort of thing just assuming that's what it was mm-hmm. and and it really wasn't that so much. Um, I mean any, any sort of commentary I think on the the, the mammy stereotype was probably more incidental than than intentional. Um, so I think it kinda suffered by not being as intentionally racial and intentionally social commentary as, as it as people expected it to be. Mm-hmm. But I think it's still like I said, I think it's still A, I think is entertaining just as a popcorn movie. I think it's a really fun kind of in that fatal attraction mold. And B, I think it does serve as some sort of commentary, whether intentional or not. I think, like I said, you can definitely read into it as uh, her being ostracized due to race, even though they don't really mention race in the movie so much. Um, The only mention is actually, I think they do... Um at one scene, the uh, Octavia Spencer, who plays the, the, the Ma character, she paints, uh, there actually is one black guy, because the black guy, you know, um, <laughs> there's one black guy amongst the, the group. <laughs> and she, uh, he's like asleep or something, and she actually paints his face white and says something to the effect of, there can only be one of us or something like that. So there was a little nod to that. Um, but it's a little awkward in that since they don't really mention it otherwise. So I think, I feel like that scene was thrown in because I think the movie initially was not written for a black character being the Ma character. Mm. So uh, I think they kind of threw that in as as kind of a bone because they thought it was expected maybe, but I don't know if that works as much. But still, I think it's kind of like, kind of like how night or uh, night of Living Dead wasn't written as a black character mm-hmm. it so but by casting a black character it inherently changed the context and the meaning of the film and how it can be interpreted I think it's the same with this by casting Octavia Spencer in the lead it inherently changes it and makes gives it a racial uh, edge to it so I think it's still even if it's not intentional I think it still is, has some social commentary and some social merit. Um, and like I said, it, racism doesn't always have to take the really overt uh, format, it can be something really subtle and it's like, you don't even know if it exists, you know, if it, am I just being paranoid or, you know, why are you doing this to me? So um, I think it really is interesting in that sense. And, and um, I think it's better than what it's gotten credit for. <laughs>
1: And and I, I mean that that idea of of uh, intention versus interpretation is a question that I love grappling with time and, and time again. I mean the before this month, uh, last month's theme was the queer vampire cycle. So like Fright Night, Lost Boys, um, Near Dark, and just that idea of did a director intend for the characters to be uh, read this way? Mm-hmm. Does, but does it also matter because a certain audience is like, yes, that is how I'm how I'm taking it. And so. That's that's something that I, I just it's, – it's a fascinating concept and a fascinating discussion that I, I think will always be had as long as movies are coming out. So um, that's awesome. And, and I'm glad you said it too. There's something to be said too about just a fun genre movie, even one that's not trying to be Get Out, but just one that's like, hey, I'm going to thrill you, I'm going to scare you, and then we're going to Get Out. And that's all that we were trying to do. I think there's something to be said about that as well. Exactly. Um, cool. So just as a, uh, a, a recap, we got people under the stairs, we got Get Out, and we got Ma. Um, Mark, if there, are, if there are people who have not heard of you before this episode or not checked out your website or anything, how can people learn more about you, learn more about your work? Where can people check out things from you?
0: Well, my site is BlackHorrorMovies.com. Um, I have a Twitter. At, uh, my handle is at Blackula. Um and like you said, I'm I'm, I'm in the documentary Horror Noir. I If you haven't seen it, definitely check it out. It's really great, really well done. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's available on, I think initially it was on Just Shutter, but I think you can watch it uh, several different places now. Oh, wow. Uh, still waiting for it to come on Blu-ray, but mm. I, I don't even know, I, even though I was in it, I have no idea when, when that will happen, but, <laughs> <laughs> um, but I'm looking for it. But yeah, just, I'm around <laughs> and apparently the, uh, given this this era, I think I'll be around more and more. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we'll we'll
1: will all be around for um, a while, I think, which is unfortunate. Let me just look up. Whoops, I just. Uh... Yeah, according to JustWatch.com, it is available uh, for free on Shutter uh, if you have Sling TV or uh, an, an Amazon subscription. Or uh, Amazon has that weird thing where if you have a subscription to something, you can watch it through their service, but not um mm. and directly and apparently you can also buy it on apple tv so it is starting to become more available to uh to more outlets and venues and and yes i've said it before i think on this very podcast if you have not seen horror noir go check it out it's a fantastic documentary um of course uh it's easy to get in touch with me you do movies badly at gmail.com is my email address nolan fixes teeth on twitter um you can I, i'm available on pretty much every i uh what are these called? Podcast platforms now, iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, Amazon Music, Um, or you can catch up on back episodes at BattleshipPretension.com, find I Do Movies Badly in the drop-down menu, or idomoviesbadly.podbean.com. But that's it for uh, this intro to Racial Reckoning Horror. Um, Mark, I cannot thank you enough for joining me today. This was a great conversation, a lot of fun. Um, So thank you so much for, for joining me. Thanks for having me, Jim. Appreciate it.